0: It's great to worship together and to gather every Sunday. And uh, I want to welcome you here again. If you're new, uh, I'm Jack, one of the pastors here. You'll meet Brian at the end. And, um, we wanna be a church where you can investigate spiritual things and investigate who this Jesus really is and what he has to say about life. In fact, we've been, uh, just started a series last week, we're gonna kinda wrap it up this week, looking at the main thing and how often sometimes in our life of, of our culture of chaos and, and clutter, uh, we can elevate secondary things to become primary things that really shouldn't be primary things and, and churches can do the same. Churches and organizations and uh, can lose sight of the main thing being the main thing. And we wanted to go back to that, looking at two particular passages, two particular uh, things that the scriptures say. You may have heard them called uh, the Great Commission and the Great Commandment. We looked at the Great Commission a little bit last week. We'll touch on that just as a refresher, and then the Great Commandment tonight. But I want you to think about important things that have been told to you by important people. So, think back to your mama, okay? Your mama gave you some wisdom, some life lessons, some things that she whispered in your ear and said, hey, you gotta remember this. I think life lessons are important for us as parents to pass on to the next gen and to pass on to our kids. And so, I want you to think about maybe a piece of wisdom or insight uh, that your mom gave you, said, this is really important. You got to remember this, okay? Maybe your dad whispered some of that to you. Maybe you had a teacher or a coach uh, that said something to you. Maybe they had a mantra that they kept repeating over and over, and it was just part of how they coached and all that kind of stuff. And here's what I want you to do. You're going to turn to a person right next to you or so, and you're going to share, okay, what was that piece of wisdom? Because the person sitting next to you is like, wow, I get to gain wisdom in this second. So um, maybe here's what you do. Turn to someone right next to you, or if you're not by someone just to talk to yourself, it's okay. Um, But what was that wisdom that your mom passed on to you? And if you're sitting next to your mom, this is like perfect opportunity to get bonus points, okay? So, ready, you got 30 seconds, go, okay? What piece of wisdom would you share that mama passed on to you? You're talking to yourself, you're talking to someone next to you. What did they pass on to you? What, maybe a coach? Maybe as a teacher? Austin's good to see you, man. How you doing? Harrison, sorry. You had the Austin. <laughs> All right, how many of you just heard a piece of wisdom? That was pretty good. You want to write it down. Maybe you want to write it down. Maybe you want to hear it, okay? It's important. Maybe we thought, maybe even last week we talked about this idea of sometimes coaches, when they're trying to to kind of give extended opportunity for you to play and kind of learn more of the playbook and all this kind of stuff, and then like we don't do well and the coach blows the whistle and they go, all right. And there's a sigh from the coach and the coach is always, it's never good when the coach sighs and they say, okay, this is a football and everyone goes, yes, coach, that's a football. And then they go back to like the basic drills, right? And they say, we're gonna run this again until you puke because we want you to get the basics because the basics matter. We wanna keep the main thing, the main thing. And so in scriptures, uh, as we're looking at this idea of the great commission we looked at last week, this is the passage in Matthew chapter 28, uh, and it's in your U version notes if you have it or if you have your Bible, you can go there. Uh, Matthew chapter 28, and this is what Jesus says. He talks about this idea of, hey, all of, Authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, and therefore you go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Surely I'm with you to the very ends of the age. You you go, you live as an active agent for God. That you are to go, that we don't just sit and huddle up and just be about us and just be about spiritual things with other people who are kind of think like you. And, and that's a challenge sometimes. That this idea of going is this idea of, of helping people understand uh, that they that they need Christ, and that they would need a Savior. That's why He came. Now, maybe you're here and you're kind of new to church, and you're hearing that, and you're like, "Well, I'm doing pretty well on my on my own." And and well, that's okay. You're, you're allowed to be that. Um, but what we, many of us around here, have come convinced of is that doing life on our own doesn't really get us to the kind of life that we most desire and that we need. And that really throughout the scriptures, what we're told is, hey, we need a rescue. That we're broken people. And if we're honest, and if it was just you and me sitting in a coffee, and we can actually have an honest conversation, you might even come to the place of recognizing and admitting to that as well that maybe I'm not all together as I think or as I project. Maybe I do have some brokenness in me. And so the scriptures call to this idea that one generation of the church would go to the next and keep going. That they would be active in sharing their faith. It would help people understand it and trust in Christ and then they would trust, and kind of lean into that trust to become, uh, we talked last week, this idea of apprenticing Jesus. That's what the disciple word means that you would become someone who's apprenticing your life, modeling your life more and more after Jesus. And that's not just, okay, I prayed a prayer and I got a Willy Wonka ticket and I'm going to heaven when I die. This is way more than just a salvation prayer. This is about a trajectory of your life and your heart and aligning yourself more and more. And what we narrowed it all down to is simply this, that one day someone helped introduce you to Jesus and you became a found one. And here's what we said. We said found people, find people. That's, that's the job of the Great Commission, is that found people, find people. We don't save anybody. That's Jesus' job. It's way above your pay grade. But your job, our job, our role, is to go and be these active agents for God. That's the Great Commission that the church in every generation, in every area across the globe, is to keep the main thing. Now the second one we're gonna look at tonight is called the Great Commandment. And what I want you to do is take your Bibles, go to Matthew chapter 22, because we're gonna find this conversation that Jesus is having. We're gonna touch on that. We'll expand to a couple other places. But this is a conversation that Jesus is having uh, with some Pharisees who actually are trying to trip him up, trying to trap him. Um, Jesus lived in the first century, and, and, and back then uh, they had a religious system kind of set up that they didn't want anyone rocking the boat. And Jesus, uh, whether you know it or not, was actually really radical. And he kind of rocked the boat quite a bit. And uh, Pharisees, there was these Sadducees, and they were a group of religious people, and then there was Pharisees. And they were another group of religious people, the Jewish people, the Jewish leaders, okay? The Sadducees, I've always remembered, is their Sadducee, because they don't believe in the resurrection. Oh, okay. Um, Pharisees, um, they were ones that were really saying, hey, we gotta obey the law, we gotta keep all the commandments, we gotta, we gotta earn our way to righteousness with God, to right standing with God. Well, That's like anti-Jesus and what the message he came, and so that's why there's ruffling of feathers here. And so one day, the Sadducees kind of try to trap Jesus in this conversation. He answers it brilliantly, and uh, they can't trap him. And so then the Pharisees are like, "Oh man, we got to go get him." And so here's the question they come up with, this really important question, and they come to Jesus and they ask it. So here's what you find in Matthew 22, verses uh, starting in verse 34. Here's what it says: When the Pharisees heard that they had silenced that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees with this reply, they met together and questioned him again. One of them, an expert in religious law, so they bring the best of the best of religious law. Okay, so. What's religious law in that culture in that time? Think back, okay, what's going on here? When you hear the word law, what do you think of? Okay, Moses, maybe the Ten Commandments, yes, that's very much it. Um, even going back uh, beyond that and expanding that, the Pharisees and the religious leaders of the day had said, okay, to not break the Ten Commandments, we, we've got to put these other regulations into place so that we don't accidentally break them or you don't get on a slippery slope of breaking them. And so the religious law of the day had actually expanded to like 600 plus laws that you were supposed to obey and to keep And so they're asking Jesus, hey, out of all these laws, what's the most important? One of them, an expert of the law, says, Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? It's a tricky question, meant to be a tricky question. Jesus replied, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all of its demands of the prophets are based or hang on these two commandments. What's fascinating is what they're asking for is what's the rule? Jesus, what's the rule, what's the law that's like the ultimate, they keep the main thing, the main thing. What's the ultimate law, the ultimate rule? And Jesus answers the question, but he answers it in a relational way, meaning... You're to love the Lord your God. That's commandment number one. Have no other gods before God, right? You're to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And you're to love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and all the words of the prophet, meaning the whole Old Testament, everything it's, it's telling you to aim your life on hangs on these two commandments. How many of you have ever looked in a mirror before? okay? A mirror does one job. What does it do? It shows you your beautiful reflection, how pretty you are, right? That's its job. And so it's this idea, think of it this way. If you have 612 laws, or 613 might have been, um, if you have all these laws, in essence, what it could be is, okay, well, Uh, in order to break this law you don't want to do this one. But see, I saw you do this one. And I know you didn't break this one, but you broke this one. And so you're kind of always trying to measure yourself. What Jesus is saying, this picture of all of the law and all of the words of the prophets hang on these two commandments. It's almost like a a mirror that's kind of hung on a nail, right? And if you remove the nail, what happens to the mirror? It falls, right? And it breaks and it shatters and there's hundreds and hundreds of pieces, right, of shards of glass that you can still get a little bit of a reflection from, but it's not the real mirror. And what Jesus is trying to say here is, look, uh, you walk around, and you walk around with these shards, and you're trying to reflect and see how you do and how, how you're doing, and you try to let other people see, but the reality is you've, you've pulled out the nail, and everything you're, you're doing is just about your effort, and you've missed the main point to love the Lord your God with all your heart, heart strength, and soul, and mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Love is what matters most, Jesus is saying. It's what matters most. You're asking me what matters most? Well, they don't know how to deal with this answer, and so they go away, and there's other things, and, and this is why Jesus ends up on the cross. It's, it's not because he's a nice guy, and he got a bad rap. He's really pushing the system. And people don't like that. Because Jesus came to introduce something that was so radically different. The role of the law was to show us that we're broken people. The whole main role of the law, Paul writes about this later, was to show us that we're broken and needy people who need not just good self-help but need a savior to rescue us. That we can't obey enough to get to a perfect and holy God. Someone has to be a replacement for us, to be a perfect holy replacement sacrifice on our behalf so that we get what he brings. This is the gospel, friends. This is what Jesus is saying, which is radically different than the religious system of the day that tried to push people back and hold people down. Love matters most. God longs for his followers to love him and to love people well, that we're to continue to grow in love. That's what spiritual maturity is to look like. It's not just this idea of gaining knowledge for knowledge's sake, that we're to grow in how we love other people. Another conversation that Jesus has with his early followers that kind of piggybacks on this is in John chapter 13, and so you can flip over a couple books to your right, uh, our Look on You version there. John chapter 13, Jesus is speaking to his followers, to his disciples, And he says this phrase to them, this statement to them, that is a big deal. That's kind of the main thing for them. And here's what he says. A new command I give you. Now, that should alert you right there. Who gives commands? We said it earlier. We got 10 commandments that were given to Moses. Who gave them to Moses? This is the Sunday school answer, God. Okay, Um, Jesus says something here that should capture our attention. A new command I give you. Who gives commands? God. So Jesus is claiming his deity again here. A lot of people say, well, Jesus never said he was God. Yeah, he did quite a bit. Okay? You don't say this if you're not meaning what you're actually saying. A new command I give you. You are to love one another. As I have loved you, you must love one another. By this, everyone, meaning the world around you, will know that you are my disciples. You're not just a person who prayed a prayer, you're a person who's apprenticing your life after me, you're you're tutoring into me, you're my disciple if you love one another. Love matters most. It should be the biggest marker of any community or gathering of Jesus followers. It should be the number one identifier of you as a follower of Jesus. Now, does that mean you have to be an extrovert and always excited and never down? Well, no, okay, love is an action, right? It's not a feeling, we all know that, right? We all know that love has feelings, but it's not just a feeling. That's where relationships go sideways when they base everything just on feelings because love is a choice, it's a decision. You're to love one another as I have loved you. This is a sobering thought to think that should be a powerful motivation to us to think that the world's view of our Savior depends greatly sometimes on the measure of how we treat one another. That's a sobering and hopefully motivating thought. To think that as the church, and maybe this is your first time at church, and I'm so glad that you're here, I, I hope maybe some of this will be kind of begin to make sense a little bit. Maybe uh, God's working on your heart. He's already been active in your life, and maybe some things that you're going to hear tonight or in these worship songs are just going to stir you in a way. Keep pursuing Him, because God loves you. And not only does he love you, he desires to have a love relationship with you that you would love him back. And that you would be filled up in order to love the people around you. That that is a marker of what's to, to kind of direct our life, that people would see God's love in and through us. The Christians often, sometimes, <laughs> often, sometimes, that's contradictory, uh, sometimes are told that we're the, we're the army that shoots its wounded That in essence, that sometimes here's the reality of one of the values we have around here is that progress is greater than perfection because perfection's not real. And that sometimes here's the reality is you're gonna fail, I'm gonna fail. And when we fail, sometimes as believers, we we tend to look at people who have failed and, and we beat them up because they failed, they misstepped. And instead of loving them back, into the fold and loving them back into saying, hey, you can get back up and you can keep moving, uh, we tend to label, even as followers of Jesus. And so the challenge for us is to practice this love thing, not just talk about it, but actually have it live out in how we conduct and how we do and how we live our lives. I love what uh, Dallas Willard, one of my favorite theologians, he says this, God's aim in the human history is to creation of an inclusive community of loving persons with himself included as its primary sustainer and most glorious inhabitant. That God wants to create this community where people are loved and they're treasured and they're valued and they matter. And that as they experience that love, they're experiencing God's love. And that they can turn around and express that to the people around them. Our world needs this expression more and more. Here we are, tomorrow's Martin Luther King Day, right? Remembering uh, a great leader, remembering a, a person who led with love and who pursued a lot of things, broken just like everybody, just like me, but had a lot of movement in the sense of helping people see that hate doesn't conquer hate, love does. And that as the church, our calling, our job is to love one another And to love the world around us in a way that points people to Jesus. It's radically different than an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Which is how the culture in which we live tends to be and tends to point out. The same God who calls us to boldly share Jesus with everyone is the same God who can empower us to relentlessly love anyone the power to practice and live out this love is coming from God. That the trajectory of the human heart matters to God. You see this in the life of Jesus all over the Gospel accounts. That every time Jesus ran into someone, whether they became a disciple of his in that moment or not, didn't matter. What mattered was the trajectory of their heart. And the reason the church, the reason you, the reason me, because we're the church, the reason we are to express God's love is to hopefully begin to nudge people in the trajectory toward God, not repel them away from him. And so often in the church, the very people that we love, when they mess up, we kinda kick them to the curb. Or the world around us, and we we stand in judgment instead of love. Now, love doesn't mean that every bit of behavior is perfect, right? It doesn't mean I have to accept everything. This idea of acceptance and approval are two different things. So this idea of love has expression to it. Here's what you know to be true. (coughs) To experience love, it has to be an action. It's not just a feeling. It's a choice. It's a decision. That the people who love you, that you feel love from, have done things to express that, correct? that they have taken steps that maybe, uh, think of it this way, I just wrote down three quick ones. Love gives attention. Love gives attention to people. In our world that's so fast-paced and so full, we struggle to actually give people our attention. Watch it this week as you go throughout your week. Just listen to yourself and the rhythm of your own life. That people who come up to have conversations with you, how fast are you to try to finish their sentences? How fast are you to try to move on to the number next and not actually be in that moment? Love gives attention, and attention is costly. That's why we call it paying attention. It has a cost to it. Love. In a cluttered and chaotic and fast-paced world, maybe as simple as I can make it, love just pays attention. And so what would it look like for you this week to begin to give people your attention? Eye contact, how often? Uh, You ever find yourself doing this with conversations? Yeah, 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 uh uh-huh, yeah, uh uh-huh. Am I the only one? I noticed this week how often I do that? And it's like the Holy Spirit saying, "Hey, um, why don't you just be in the moment and like give your attention here?" Because that matters. What does attention build in people? Well, maybe the second thing, love gives value. It gives value to people. And in a culture that loves to rip people down and to tell them they don't measure up, and to show them all the ways that they fall short, love says, hey, you're valuable. You're valuable because God says you're valuable. And you're valuable enough for my attention. That you're valuable enough in this moment for me to give my focus to you. And I want you to know that you're accepted right where you're at. Now, I know that God's at work in your life and that he's gonna take you to places that you need to go, that I can accept you for who you are and where you're at. Now, acceptance doesn't mean I have to approve of everything that you do because acceptance and approval are not the same thing, but acceptance says you have value. And to our watching and lonely world that's more connected than ever, but I think struggles with loneliness more than ever, what people need is attention, and they need to feel valued. And so as a church, we have an opportunity. Individually, as we scatter to go be the church, you get to express that. Collectively, we get to put that on display like we did yesterday for the 68 uh, families that showed up for this food distribution. We gave out 3,800 pounds of food and you guys walked with boxes, talking with people, giving your attention, giving your focus, helping people feel valued, that they matter, that they not just matter to us, that they matter to God. Because that's what our watching world needs to see, needs to see on display. Love gives so much more than just attention and value. Um, love has a way of of doing more than that. It it gives mercy, it gives forgiveness, it gives justice, it gives encouragement, it gives challenge at times. Tough love is still love, right? That sometimes you have to give challenge to folks that you believe more for them and the best is yet to come. It gives a whole lot more than that. At, At the end of the day, what love does is that love just gives. That's what love does. It reminds me of um, what you'll see on the football games this weekend and next weekend is uh, maybe the guy behind the goalpost with the John 3.16. And maybe you're brand new to church, you don't even know what that is, let me tell you what it is. Uh, John 3.16 is not a guy named John, and his address is 3.16, and no one ever knows the street address. Um, It's actually a Bible verse. Um, And what it talks about, it really is the simplest verse I know that, that captures the gospel, that captures the message of what Jesus came to say and what Jesus came and did for you and for me. For God so loved the world that he what? Because that's what love does. If you're a parent, you know this. Love gives. It gives attention at three in the morning when people are throwing up and you don't want to be up and dealing with it. It just gives. Love gives all the time. God loves, so what did he do? He give he gave. He gave his one and only son that whoever would believe in him, put their trust in him, would not perish but have eternal life. God loved so God gave. And if you believe, you can receive. Friends, that's the gospel in a nutshell. That's the power of what Jesus came to say. That it's not about obeying 612 laws because you can't. In fact, the whole point of the law was to show you you can't. But I've come that you may have life and that you may have it to the full, Jesus would say. By faith in Him. God loves, so He gave. And if you believe, you can receive. And we can live by this faith. And we can live as a loved one who then is empowered to go in love, and love gives. I love how we use the word love for so many things. We only have one word, right? For love. So I can love hot dogs and I can love my house, and I can love my wife. There should be a difference, right? (laughs) So this idea of love in our culture, in our English word, we, we just don't have the word to capture it. But here's what you know. With people that have loved you well, and that you care for, and that you have loved well, you can get to the place where you can say, I love you. And the other person replies, I know right? That's what you want to say. Now I remember, um, gosh, it's been 11 years since my mom passed away, and, and I remember being in the hospital room with her, and we were talking just about life, and I, I knew it was probably time, and we were there for a couple days, and, and I remember having those conversations, and I would say, Mom, I love you, and she would say, I know, and then she would tell me, man, I love you, and I would say, gosh, I know. that's love. It's way more than an expression that you say and you just repeat to somebody. The reason they can say I know is because they've seen a track record of you giving and investing and pouring into them. And so you can look back and go yeah I know look at all you've done for me. So here's where the beautiful part comes in. When Jesus says to you, to me, I love you, may you be able to get to the point where you can say, I know, I know. That's spiritual growth. Let me work through my tears here. Spiritual growth is not how many Bible verses you know. It's not about how often you go and serve. Those are great things, and those are apprentice-like activities that you should do because you're loved. But at the end of the day, this is about being a loved one. Can I just read to you some of the ways that Jesus has made it clear that he loves you? And if it helps you just to close your eyes and listen to these as a follower of him, maybe you're just investigating him, that's cool. But one day, if you would ever put your faith in Jesus, this is what he says to you as well. This is what John uh, 15 says. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, then they lay down their life for their friends. And that's what Jesus went and did for you. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 18, Paul's praying, and he says, I pray that you would be rooted and established in love, that you may have the power together with all God's holy people to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ for you. That it's not a shallow thing, it's not a simple thing, it's not a thing that you can run out of. You will never reach the end of it. And even when you mess up, because you will, and then you'll do it again, and you'll mess up again, and you'll mess up again, his love never quits. It won't abandon you. It will always be with you. First John says this, see how great the love the Father has lavished on us. Not sprinkled on us, not tossed on us. Lavished, like overflowing. Too much to contain. That he has lavished on us that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. But God demonstrated his own love for us and this, while we were still sinners, while we were still broken and telling God to, to, to kiss off and not even paying attention to him, he, he went and died for you because he loves you. I'm convinced, Paul says, that neither death nor life, angels or demons, nor the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us the love that is in God, that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We don't strive to get God's love. You already have it in Jesus. That's why he can say to you, I love you. How much? This much. I love you. And hopefully you can get to the point in your relationship with Jesus that you can whisper back, I know. I know. We don't, trying to earn his love. He's already given it to us. We are to be filled up with his love so that we become fueled up to go love others well. If I had to boil it down to a phrase, it's simply this. We're filled up with the love of Jesus so that we can go love like Jesus. Loved people love people. Loved people (laughs) <laughs> they just love people. And the call for the church, not just our church, but the church, for this time, this generation as we've got to love better, which starts with being loved ones, understanding how much we are loved, because as a loved one, I can then just go love others. And when I anchor myself to that, I can go love well. I love what Paul says: If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but I do not love, I am only a resounding gong, a clanging symbol which everybody hates, even drummers. <clears throat> if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that says to a mountain, "You move," and the mountain moves, but I have not love, I'm nothing. If I give all of I possess to the poor and give over my body to the hardship that I may boast but I do not have love, I gain nothing. These three remain, faith, hope, and love and the greatest of these is what? Love. Christian maturity, I wrote this, can never equal a head filled with biblical knowledge and yet a heart empty of love. Christian maturity must be both. It must be at a place where this ending challenge, friends, is that we live in a real world. There's a real world out there filled with real people who have real needs and what they want at the end is to know a real gospel, that there's really a hope and that they're really loved. And found people, find people. And loved people, love people and so as we come to a time of communion which we do every week as you approach the table may you know that in essence every time you come to this communion table it's Jesus whispering to you I love you I love you it's not just an activity we run through but it's something that we realize that we are loved because love people can then go love people it's just what we do. It's, it's who we are. It's not something that we try to muster up. It just, it flows out of who we are. That we're a found one. And now we look to find people. That we're a loved one. And now we seek to love people. It's just who we are. And so as we come to a time of communion, as we worship here in a couple songs, just encourage you right where you're at to lean in and to think about how you're doing And understanding God's love for you. Is it one of those things that you said, oh, yeah, 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 God loves me? Can I just encourage you that it's more than that? And that you would lean into how deep and how wide and how long and how high is the love of Christ for you. Yes, even you. That you'd marinate on that a little bit this week. And that you'd allow Him to begin to show you who as he fills you up with his love, who now you are fueled up to go and love? Who has he put across your path that you can seek, that you can say, come and see what Jesus is doing for me? Who has he put across your path that you can love well? And so, Father, I pray in these next few moments as we lean into communion, as we lean into worship and sing these songs, you'd stir our hearts again. May it never become a routine to know, Jesus, that you, you put on skin and you lived a real life and you came to this real earth to express a real love of God and that you came and you died on a cross giving up your body, giving up your blood for my brokenness, for our brokenness, for our sin, our things that separated us from you so that now in faith, we can have a right relationship with you. Not based on our effort, or our energy, or what we try to produce. Not what we try to do, but what you got done. So in these moments, would you stir our hearts afresh? Would you help us to understand that we are found ones, and that we go and seek and find those that you search for. That we are loved ones. That we would be fueled to go love well. A world that aches for that. Give us specific people and assignments as your active agents for you in this world. We ask that in Jesus' name.